We lost a great race car driver on January 30th, 2020, a beloved fundraiser for Riley's Children's Hospital and fierce advocate for colon cancer screening. John Andretti's accomplishments behind the steering wheel were only exceeded by his humanitarian efforts. With an unparalleled life and career to celebrate, I've assembled a podcast feature that makes 16 stops along the way, all told by those who knew him and loved him. His legendary uncle, Mario Andretti, said it best. Try to, to put together how many drivers have driven midgets on dirt, asphalt, sprint cars on dirt, asphalt, sports prototypes, indie cars, stock cars, and top fuel. You tell me who has done all that. No one. No one that I could ever remember. I mean, that I could ever put together. I mean, there's no way there's another one that has done all that. He's alone. He's alone there. In the ninth installment of Remembering John Andretti, we have Jim Hall II, young man who was asked to help manage his father's IndyCar team starting in 1991, where John went on to win the opening race of the season, a famous win at Surfer's Paradise. All brought to you in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast by the Justice Brothers, Cooper Tires, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, USA. So, Jim, we're looking back on John Andretti's life, and for many folks, I believe, a rather magical debut win for you and your father's team, 1991 Boy, that sure stands out. And I know for so many people down under, his win in the Mm. inaugural Surfer's Paradise IndyCar race in 1991, they really hold that up high as a really cherished moment. But before we get to that, we'd just love to uh, hear about anything you might recall about how John came into the team, right? 1990, the Porsche IndyCar program's final year where he was there with Teo Fabi. With that going away, though, we weren't sure where he might end up. Lo and behold, we have this this beautiful Chaparral team, this gorgeous Pennzoil Lola Chevy. Curious if you recall how John Andretti's name came into the frame. Well, interesting. I was running my carding school out here in Ventura, Oxnard, and uh, Dad, I would had just finished my my uh, 1989. Rookie of the year in the Formula Mazdas, and Dad said, "As you move up, it gets more dangerous." And just starting my 1990 season, and uh, he went and saw me at uh, race at uh, what is that outside of Dallas? I think Addison Airport, and he was on his way to go meet with with Jim Musser at Pennzoil, and uh, and uh, and I guess my memory is that. Roger had decided, Roger Penske, that is, had decided to go with two Marlboro cars and drop the Pennzoil uh, sponsorship, and I'm guessing maybe a little more money in that era. And so Jim Messer, uh, since Dad had run with Pennzoil with uh, Alan Sir and Johnny Rutherford in the past, said, I'd like you to come down and talk with me in Houston and uh, see what we should do next in IndyCar racing. And... Uh, and I think Dad, on his way there, stopped to watch me in a practice at Addison and went and met with him and said, well, we may be able to do something to help you. So uh, very soon after, he met with myself and Franz 
And of course, Franz uh, Weiss's partner was Rudy, the Count Rudy Vanderstraten. Yeah. And uh, we decided to pull me out of the race car, <laughs> put me uh, full time in Midland, which was culture shock coming from from California. Um, even though I had spent summers there, I had run my own karting, you know, racing programs for years out here and love the coast and California and all that. But it seemed like just a wonderful opportunity. The first drivers we looked at was Danny Sullivan. And I actually met with him, I think, at the Beverly Hills Hotel or the Bel Air Hotel. That sounds very uh, Danny. Said, uh, you know, that's where we met. And he was going to hold out to see if Derek Walker could put together a deal and he was not ready to commit to us. So that was, was my memory was someone we were interested in. We didn't know if he was available that we didn't know if we could afford him. And he said, I'm not ready to do anything. And we said, we want to get going. And this would have been, would have been, you know, during the 90 season, you know, in that the summer of that, and uh, John's name came on a short list. We realized oval racing was important. He had a little bit of karting background, lots of really good oval experience, uh, just a wonderful, personable driver, hardworking, focused, you know, and fun to be around. So we met with him and Kerry Agajanian and hammered out a deal. And uh, in that era, you know, the Michael Andretti's and Alunsers and stuff were making probably more money than they make now. Um, you know, I, I don't know know the numbers, but I think I remember they were making probably uh, over $2 million, maybe $3 million. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in that heyday, maybe even more. And, and uh, so we were able to uh, hire John, um, you know, with a salary and prize money and travel and stuff for much less than that. And, uh, and it would have stepped up, you know, as the years went on, but we started with a one year program with him and uh, I, dad and I hired Larry Curry very early. He was available and he and I started going to the races and he had a fabulous idea as after the last race by the best car as it came off the track, they couldn't touch it. Mm. So that we got, we got all of the tricks. So we talked to Gallus and said, we want the car as it comes off the track. You can pull his seat out. You can pull the radio off it, but we we're going to roll it away from there. And so uh, Larry and I did that at Laguna and watched the car and put it in a secure trailer that we had there. And it went back to Midland and we went through it with a fine tooth comb and it was uh, fairly different than a stock Lola. <laughs> and uh, they had developed the car really well and Al was doing great. And then we, you know, fit John and worked at it and Franz had a great deal with Chevy. So we had Chevy test engines and we were able to get good year tires and we had big spring available rattlesnake raceway was not in running order unfortunately but big spring was there with jim edwards running it and very convenient for us like an hour away and we went and did a lot of shakedown for john learning the car and learning that uh that car over the winter before we built 
you know, our, our 91 cars. Wow. And I think that gave us as a new team gave us, I think we paid, you know, some amount extra, maybe 40 or 50,000 extra to get it off the track. But I think it paid huge dividends learning what worked and didn't work and how they developed that car for a new team. And that was, I think pretty much Larry's idea. Cause it had uh, been Jim, it had been 10, 11 years. Uh, right. since the, you know, the, with an 81 season, we're talking, you know, yellow <laughs> submarine era. Uh, so uh, despite the first ground effects, right. Tunnel car, right. So despite articulating skirts, uh, cool car than vanished for sure. All the so, history is amazing, but still, uh-huh. if you've taken, you know, a, a decade off, or you've been away for a right. decade, uh, that first year could be a very humbling thing as you get back up to speed. Right. Uh, I love the approach here of, no, 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 no. We're going to fast track this, uh, call it education or just ramping back up process and looking at what you did here. I mean, that 1991 Lolo was a rather effective tool. You obviously had the right motor in the Chevy and it sounds uh-huh. like John was primed to really, you know, put in whatever amount of work was necessary coming off of a admittedly rather disappointing 1990 season with the Porsche program that was clearly going to be on its way out. Right. And he was young. He was sharp. He was motivated, uh, did a good job in testing and feedback. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, it was a very exciting for us to go to, you know, surfers greeted fabulously by, by the fans there. Um, I think we only qualified ninth, but it wasn't a mile off. If I remember right, but um, he felt good about the car and things, you know, first race of the season in that area era different than now. Uh, things happened, you know, shakedown, you know, and we had done a lot of shakedown. So we had done a lot of practice and, and things happened to other teams. We had good pit stops and good strategy and just as people dropped out or made mistakes or whatever and had a good race car, um, it just fell into place. And, you know, luck plays, you know, an important part, but the preparation was good too. You know, we practiced pit stops. We had an available shop early with the old VDS shop and, uh, and, uh, you know, having the testing, the tire testing, the engine testing, the chassis testing, uh, we came came there ready to race, and it was kind of reminded me of the era that I grew up in. You talked about the Super V. I grew up in the era in my young teams of working for Franz and Troy with the with the Lola Formula Five Thousand car with Brian Redman, and we always showed up at the track in that era ready to go. Franz had shaken down the car, the engine worked, the transmission worked. We had a car, we had a spare car. They were ready to go. And we had just a huge advantage when we showed up for this Formula 5000 race, you know, in that era. I think there was five of us running two cars. And, and so this felt a lot like that. Wow. Um, and, and then you get into the serious grind of the season and the experienced teams, kind of like you see in Formula One, you know, the experienced teams accelerate faster. Um, and, and, and then we have to start playing a catch up game as they develop those cars. And, 
and all of that stuff. And, you know, we, we had a number of woulda, shoulda, couldas. I was kind of flashing back on the ND 500 and I wish I had taken the time today to fact check it, but it'd be interesting to think if my memory is correct, we were really, really good at the ND 500. And my memory is we were running about fourth or fifth yellow came out and they said, pick up brick mirrors and they picked uh, us up and they let the people ahead of us go all the way around back behind us. So we were fourth or fifth, but they let first, second, third, and maybe fourth go all the way around back to the back of the yeah, field yep. and they wouldn't, and they wouldn't fix it. <laughs> so we almost went a lap down because of incorrect pace car picking us up instead is my memory and we were never able to get that back but i think we still finished fourth or fifth Fifth, so um but uh, that opportunity to maybe run with them was gone so um you know there's lots of what should have could have in racing and uh but but a really uh fun fun uh first season with john he and nancy and aldo you know, his wife and his dad and Carrie Agajanian was just fabulous to be around. He and I became friends. He was doing the AMA Supercross stuff with Jeremy McGrath, and he invited me to a suite at uh, Anaheim Stadium. And, you know, a really classy, nice, nice guy. And what a great racing history of that family, the Agajanian family. So it was nice to have him at the races and he was representing John, but he was also a wonderful asset. And for me, one time I used K&K insurance for my karting school in the 37 years I did it. We put through about 60,000 people. We had one lawsuit in an MTV TV show event that happened and a small accident happened and he represented me in that wow. and, uh, and they settled out of court very quickly. Um, so it was really nice for me and, and, uh, you know, no, no, no real cause, just an easy settlement. So, so, um, um, he years later protected me, which was nice. Oh, nice. But, um, um, it's confusing to me. I believe some in positive energy keeps you healthy and keeps you young and stuff. And John had all that. So it, it's, you know, he was positive. He was funny. He was a prankster. He had a good laugh all the time. He was a loving dad and a loving husband and, you know, a, a fun guy. So it's, it's confusing to me. Sometimes it's just bad luck, you know, in life that something like this were to happen. It makes no sense to me. Jim and never will. Right. He's such a healthy, such a positive guy. His attitude through the cancer seems so good. And it's just really makes you scratch your head that sometimes it's just bad luck. You know, you know, looking uh, sad, 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 sad. Looking at what you all achieved, I think is just yet another really impressive and positive aspect of his career. And it kind of falls in line with everything you just mentioned about really through who you are trying to breathe good things into existence. You know, I look at that 91 season where you came together for the first time, obviously winning on your debut. It's not a bad way to start the year, but uh, it's not just that though. Right. And I think that's another thing that, you know, for some, again, uh, of a certain age, those of us who were there or saw it, remember it, whatever. When we think of 1991 in John Andretti, we think about winning at surfers, period. Well, there wasn't a period. Granted, 
Uh, that was uh-huh. the only win of the year. Uh-huh. But you look uh-huh. at the fact that at Indy, do you, you finish fifth? Where do you? What do you do to follow Indy? You finish second uh-huh. at Milwaukee, and then you look at the rest of the year, and it's a sixth here. It's a fourth at Meadowlands, a fifth at Toronto, uh, sixth again on Michigan at Michigan. You guys were really strong in the ovals, a bunch of sevenths and a ninth, and for a, a new organization with a new driver. And again, despite the storied history, you all still had to gel and, you know, really figure out how to make this thing work. John finishes yeah, eighth had- in the championship, man, directly behind <laughs> Mario. Come on. <laughs> It was a good season, and we had a pretty darn dependable car, too. Larry put together a really good team for us. And, uh, you know, Dad and I were good oversight. Franz was good oversight. And, you know, that, like I said, there were some widows, should have, could have. Detroit was really interesting. He was doing really well, I think, running fifth or sixth or fourth or fifth or sixth, somewhere in there. And there was a red flag, and it was hot and humid. And he said, I'm going to sit in the car and stay focused. Every other person got out of their car, mm. got cooled off, stripped down. And he unfortunately cooked himself. He sat in the car and got overheated and then fell back. Uh, the rest of the race were all what's wrong john i said i just don't feel good i i i just don't feel good what's going on he was working his way back so that was a real learning experience for him get out of the car get cooled off red flags are usually longer than you think he was all oh it's only going to be a few minutes it was a long red flag and uh so you know there's learning experiences for all of us so that was kind of a heartbreak to see that because we felt like we had a really good car there in detroit so and so um, you it, you i was going to say you guys continued again it wasn't just this one year with john you you guys had two years together went into 92 another a new lola stronger chevy as usual and while there weren't any wins that were produced in 92 it's still a really solid year i mean you guys finished somewhere between fourth fifth and sixth at half the races basically which <laughs> in any season that's a, a dream scenario uh finished eighth again in the championship right behind danny sullivan who'd moved over to uh at that point in time the fairly powerful gallus craco team i mean uh mm-hmm. th- that was certainly uh you know a, a strong move on his part but what comes to mind jim in that second and final year that you had with john it was pretty much dead even if we're talking championship results eighth again uh but it seemed like the team had really solidified i just don't know uh, what the overall reaction was to the year yeah i think think uh, engineering wise that that uh, we felt like there there needed to be i think more development and so i think dad's decision was that he you know being the engineer being that mindset that he wanted to see if we could go with an engineering mind with, with Teo um, and develop the car a little more. So just interesting, even though John, like I said, was a terrific guy, terrific racer, positive attitude and all that stuff, just, you know, ready for a change, but, but also a really good dependable year. And, uh, you know, my dad's one of those ones different than most of us that there's first and last for him. So he wasn't, you know, that happy, not even having a win, uh, not happy and, uh, really not happy. And, uh, you know, I'm one of these, 
if you did your best that day and you finished third or fourth or fifth, I go away re- reasonably satisfied. So I was happier more at the time than dad was. Mm. But uh, um, he really is first and, you know, the, the rest of the losers, that's the way he feels. So, um, you know, it, sometimes you have to make a change and sometimes it's good. And I think he really gelled well engineering-wise later on with Shell DeFerrin. So, so um, and, and we had some more success there. And I had left the team by that point. Uh, I was really missing driving and it is a grind like, you know, and I was missing running a kart racing school as a lot of fun, you know, great corporate events, fun people, fun racing. And then, you know, I went right back to Formula Mazda racing for many years to come through about 2009. <laughs> so, so, um, and had a blast doing that. So, um, you know, doing it is, I mean, some people thrive on managing and owning for me driving. I was missing that too much. So, and there was, you know, running a team, there's no time to do that. Um, well, well, you mentioned the, the, the driving part and the need to drive, which uh brought you out of this management phase and back to the, I mean, obviously running your own business, but the driving right. side as well. Let's close Jim on your memories. And I, and I guess your thoughts now that sadly John is no longer with us, but that is his legacy. The guy who loved driving and racing right. more than almost any human being ever just could not fathom spending uh, a weekend out of a race car because he just loved it so much. Again, you know that because you mm-hmm. have felt that and you know can mm-hmm. experience that forever. What comes to mind when you think back on these, you know, I would say somewhat magical uh, two years with John uh, helping this team come back to IndyCar where you did have success and it really did uh-huh. help cement his name as well. It did. Um, I love that he he loved the first lap out in the car, and he was less conservative than I am. He loved, you know, at Indy or anywhere, especially in the oval, just going out and going for it right away. And I was like, and he made very few mistakes. You know, we we had crash damage. I did all the budgeting as the GM and president, and I had crash damage in my budget, and I rarely needed to use it with John. So, um, you know, but he would love to, okay, I'm going to go out and go for it, you know, whatever change we make and, uh, and feel the car and drive it hard and give you feedback right away. So that was really fun that he, he just, you know, had that zing to just go for it different than I'm, I'm much more conservative. I need two or three or four laps to work up to speed. And that saved us a lot of time for sure. Um, that was a, one great kick, and he, like I said, he was. I'm, I'm not going to say uh, specific pranks right now, but he was a good prankster, and he loved to get you laughing. Um, so he had that lighter side, but he had the really serious focus side when he put on the helmet and strapped in the car. A joy to work with, for sure. A real joy. You know, he shared that with everyone that was in his life. Um, right to the end, his just his attitude towards fighting this cancer was just amazing 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 thank you for listening to remembering john andretti on the marshall pruitt podcast 
brought to you by the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and Cooper Tires. If this is your first time listening, more than 900 episodes are available at MarshallPruittPodcast.com. We also have a subscribe page where Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other listening options are readily available.